Hi, and welcome to Bad Decisions. The podcast that helps us understand why we choose what we choose. Why we think what we think. And how to exploit this stuff for fun and commercial gain. Ethically. Always ethically. I'm Dr. Mel Weinberg. I'm a performance psychologist. And I'm Dan Monheit, co-founder of Hard Hat, a creative agency built for today. So you wouldn't believe it, Mel. Tell me. Once again, Australia is going to the polls. Oh, yeah. I yes, think, yes, I don't know, this morning or yesterday or something. Who's our current prime minister? Who knows? Um, Jomo. <laughs> Jomo. Lomo. Scomo. <laughs> Some, anyway, someone's decided that everybody needs a free hot dog and uh, we're going to go and vote. For, are we voting for a new prime minister again? Apparently. Yeah. So anyway, this got me thinking about this weird thing that we seem to do mm-hmm. where voting for a new prime minister, you need to ask yourself, um, millions of people will be asking themselves, will this person be a good prime minister? Yeah, it's a tough question. It's a it? really hard question. And there's a lot of... Um, facets to what would make somebody a good or a bad prime minister. And Uh it made me realize like one of the things we seem to do is we substitute easy questions for hard questions almost without our brain knowing. Okay. Yeah. So it's like, would this person be a good prime minister? Uh, I don't know. That's really hard. Ask me an easier question. Is this a nice person? Would you like to have a beer with this person? And it's like, yeah, okay. Yeah, I probably would. Well, therefore, they would probably be a good prime minister. Mm, much easier question, hey? Who do I want to go to lunch with? Yeah. And I was yeah. kind of thinking how the same thing probably happens with investing in publicly listed companies as well. Uh-huh. So you like say, mm, should I buy shares in Tesla? And you go, well, is the current Tesla share price the right price? And you go, I don't know. Uh, like there's a lot of very hard maths that I would need to do to work that out. And a lot of things I don't understand. So an easier question I can substitute for myself is, do I like the Tesla brand? Yes, then I should buy shares in it. Yeah, I mean, this is basically why we have heuristics, right? Heuristics are shortcuts. They substitute really hard questions for easier ones that we much prefer. Totally. And so I guess one of the places where we often are asking ourselves a hard question is, is the price for this thing correct? Or how much is this thing really worth? Yeah. And um, we found a lot of ways to give ourselves easier questions to answer. So we look at tricks like what is the price of this item or what is the brand of this item or what is the shop that I'm buying this item from and we try and use all of those things as easy answers Mm -hmm. and it seems that one of the other interesting um, ways that we try and determine the value of something is how much effort went into making this. Good Dan, see you're giving us (laughs) the effort heuristic. Yay. Yay! The effort heuristic uh, basically describes how we will ascertain the quality or the worth of an object by our perception of how much time and effort went into it. Yeah. So we substitute effort for quality. Effort's our shortcut for quality. And we've talked about shortcuts in a lot of different episodes. One of the ones that sort of quickly comes to mind is the availability bias, is right? Is it available for you, that episode? Well, that's the one. It's like, it's it's easily available to me, yes, that availability bias episode. And in that episode, we talk about how availability is a shortcut for the frequency of something. Mm-hmm. And just like that, in the effort heuristic, effort becomes a shortcut for quality. Yeah. So, I mean, it would be great for people to know that these each of these shows take us, what is it, like 17, 18 hours <laughs> so of research, yeah. 30 hours of recording, which we lovingly edit down to 
you know, 18 to 22 minutes. Yeah. But we, it's, there's no point telling people that. But if they knew, mm. they would really rate these shows. They'd really value it. A lot it. more higher yeah. than they do. Yeah. So, look, there are a couple of reasons why this effort heuristic exists and sort of why it's there to help us. You've got an example from an evolutionary perspective. Well, like I was just thinking that today things are pretty complicated. You know, trying to work out the value of a set of AirPods is pretty tricky because it's a complex process for how they somehow get invented and then end up on a shelf in front of you. But at some point in our past, there was probably a much tighter correlation between effort and quality because you're probably buying things from the people who actually made them by hand. You know, mm-hmm. everyone was kind of like a craftsperson or an artisan. And within reason, the more time somebody spent making, I don't know, a horseshoe or a sword or, a, I don't know, a basket, probably the better and higher quality that item was. Yeah. So you're basically saying that there was a, a reason why effort would be a good substitute yeah. for quality. Like it makes sense, right, back in the day. And, you know, if we take that to today, we take it to today's society, there's a concept called learned industriousness. Ooh. And, yeah, fancy words to basically describe how effort gets rewarded, especially when you're younger, right? You put a lot of time into something, you put a lot of effort into something, and you're told that will get you the outcome. Because of that, effort itself gets rewarded. And it's a weird thing because if you think about effort, if you think about what effort involves, effort involves physical exertion. Mm. You you put in effort when you're fatigued by it, right? Yeah. And so it's something that we would typically avoid. But according to learned industriousness, what actually happens is because that effort get re- gets reinforced, we learn to love it. You know, you've run marathons. I've ran a marathon. <laughs> you ran, ran a marathon. I ran most of a marathon and hobbled right? some part of and it. And you put yourself through a lot of hard work. Yeah. You put yourself through a lot of physical exertion. You put in a lot of effort but you loved that the effort actually got rewarded yeah so instead of the effort being something aversive something that you avoided you trained week after week after week and you pushed yourself a lot of athletes do this yeah. i'm putting you in the category Whoa. of athletes yes. a lot of athletes I'm do an this athlete now. <laughs> that'll yeah. do um but you put in the effort um and you actually enjoy it people say they love the grind yeah so you reckon that's a learned thing because that's that's not natural right yeah. well we've been conditioned to actually enjoy the effort yeah i think you're right i mean if i, I think about school there is this idea of romanticizing effort that mm. hard work is, is good mm-hmm. which like it probably is to a degree but also sometimes people need to work harder just because they're less good to start with right i mean speaking of hard work and degrees it takes yeah. me back to my academic days and loads of marking and you know one one of the worst things that you have to do in academia is marking mm. and one of the things that happens is the students will come back and complain about their grades. And if I can tell you the number of times that students came to me and said, but but I only got a credit, but I put so much time into it, but I put so much effort into it. Yeah. And I don't know, called me a hard ass, but like still wasn't any good. They were trying to punk you with the effort heuristic, right? I'm not falling for that. You're yeah. still getting a credit. Yeah. So I guess what we're saying is oftentimes effort does not directly correlate to goodness. Right. And so we can make errors because of the effort heuristic. Yeah. Right? Like we sometimes overestimate the correlation between the effort that gets put into it and the outcome. Sometimes there are a whole bunch of reasons why the effort doesn't necessarily correlate so strongly with the outcome. Like if somebody's just not very talented, for example, you can put all the effort in the world, but the outcome's still going to be subpar. Yeah. So I guess this all feels pretty natural and we can all think about how – Um, we could convince ourselves to think that something that took more effort would be worth more. But surely somebody somewhere in the world has put in the effort, the highly valuable effort of conducting some research on this. Well, would you believe they did? (laughs) 
This is amazing. And it took four authors of the study back <laughs> wow. in 2004. This must be a pretty good paper, four yeah, authors. Kruger et al. And it's called. It's known as the POEM study. And what they did was they had uh, two different groups. They split people into two groups and they, were, they gave them a poem to read and they asked them to rate you know, the quality of the poem. They asked them, did you enjoy the poem? Mm. And, you know, if this poem were to be sold to a poetry magazine, how much do you think it would be worth? A poetry magazine. Yes, that, that was a study. What, what year was this that study was done? study, 2004, well, when poetry that, magazines well, were all the hype. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they gave both groups a whole bunch of information about the author of the poem, about where they came from, their name, etc. The only thing that was manipulated was how long they told participants that the author spent writing the poem. Mm. So group one were told that the poem took four hours to compose Mm -hmm. and group two were told all the exact information except that the poem took 18 hours to compose. And would you know it, at the end of the study, what they found was that the group who were told that the poem took 18 hours to compose rated the quality of the poem as much higher Surely and it's worth not. much higher. Surely not. Uh-huh. Believe it. Surely these guys didn't stop at poetry, though. Uh, there were a couple of other studies. Yeah. <laughs> Which one are we going to talk about? <laughs> well, we can, we can talk about one of them had to do with ratings of paintings, yeah. for example, rating the quality of paintings. Um, they had a group of non-experts and then a group of self-identified experts and just to throw it out there i'm critical and curious and suspicious of anything that asks people to self-identify as experts yeah well Um, i think that's what's what's great about this story because what happened to the self-identified painting experts well wouldn't you know it they rated the quality of the paintings much higher if they were told uh that the hours spent painting them were longer yeah so basically everybody got punked including the self-identified experts exactly right so i mean this is Really interesting, but also kind of troubling uh, as somebody that has a business like that is in the world of selling ideas. Right. Right. And it's really hard to assign a value to an idea. And, and a weird thing that's happened in my industry and in a lot of other industries like ours is that clients want ideas. They don't know how to value them. So what everybody just kind of agreed we're going to do is we're just going to quote and pay based on time slash effort. Uh-huh. Even though everybody really knows that this is a horrific approximation for how much value is created, the idea of trying to break the paradigm that we pay people for hours is just far too big and far too confusing. So the approximation we use in our industry for effort uh, for value is also effort. Yeah. So like people will have like ideas, like a light bulb will come to them. Yeah. I mean, how long does it take to crack a campaign idea? Like mm-hmm. your whole life plus five seconds. Mm-hmm. So you can't charge a client for your whole life. Mm-hmm. Tried, didn't work. <laughs> can't charge a client for five seconds because that's going to come out at like a dollar thirty, right? On a good day. So you kind of have to find something in the middle. And some businesses do manage to crack some model where you do value-based pricing. Like what is the value of this idea to your business? Yeah. And how much can we improve sales or other key metrics? But the reality is it's so complicated. Like if you come up with a new tagline for a brand, And then you see sales go up. It might have been because of the tagline or it might have been because of better distribution or it might have been because their competitor ran out of stock and nobody could buy them or it might have been because the weather was good or bad. It's so hard. So it's like, how about we just pay for the hours that somebody spent thinking about this or not thinking about this, but we're meant to think about this. Right. So if we understand that effort is used as a substitute for quality, tell me, please, how can brands use this to their advantage? Yeah. So this is exactly the right starting point because while it would be good to try and convince people that this is not always the best way to value something, that's really hard. So if we just lean into the just fact into that this is, yeah, this is what people think is happening, I mean, 
the long and the short of it is what we need to do is find ways to, you know, on one hand, I want to say make our processes longer and more complicated. But really what I mean by that is not to manufacture fake things. Mm. I mean, most things that people do do have long, complicated processes. Yeah. And I think the way we need to play this heuristic is to make those long, complicated processes more visible to the people we're selling to than they otherwise would be. And a lot of the times we don't even notice the complexity because we're in it all the time. Yeah. So there are some examples of that, right? Yeah, of course there are. So we see this in a bunch of places. Um, so one of the things I like to think about is is restaurants, right? And if you designed and built a restaurant any time up until, I don't know, call it 10 years ago, there was a pretty predictable format where you have all of the service areas out the front mm -hmm. and then kind of hidden away behind a wall, you have all of the kitchen staff. So nobody sees the mess. No, nah, don't see the mess. Don't yeah. see anything. The food just magically appears through these doors. And if you look at the trend in restaurants in the last 10 years, every hot restaurant, at least in Melbourne and Sydney, and I'm sure other places in the world, the kitchen is smack bang in the middle of the restaurant. So much fun. So it much is, more fun that way. It's so much more fun. And not only is it in the middle of the restaurant, but there are seats. And like, I think often the best seats in the house are sitting around the kitchen watching the people craft the food. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we are not only exposing, but we're probably celebrating and romanticizing the effort that goes in. Um, and it seems that people are, are more patient and happy to pay more when you can actually see what is taking the time and the effort going in. And if somebody were to do research on that, if there isn't some already that we just haven't looked up, um, I'm sure they would enjoy the quality of their food, rate the quality of their food much better. Yeah, without a doubt. Like when you've seen the chef cut the sashimi right in front of you, like you just can't help but think that it is fresher and more expertly prepared. Sure. Um, some other places we see this stuff happening, uh, you know, we often used to talk about comparison websites on the internet. And when I say we used to talk about this, like nerds in my industry used to talk about this. And the idea that, often historically, and maybe it's still the case, those comparison websites were slowed down. So, you know, you go into one of these websites, you say, I want to find flights from Melbourne to LA, and it could find that for you in half a second, mm -hmm. right? Faster. But the perception is, well, if it only took half a second, like, did you really go out and have a look at all of the possible places you could find airfares, right? So the idea was that these websites were slowed down a little bit to give the perception that they were doing a better job, there was more effort going into it, and therefore a more valuable outcome that came out the back of it. Tricky, isn't it? Yeah. Um, the last probably interesting example I see of this is if you think about tracking packages that come from overseas. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we've just all become accustomed to the idea that you buy something on a website, then you get a tracking number and you go and look it up. And while in one respect, you're looking it up just because you want to know where it is and how far away it is, what companies like DHL and FedEx have done an amazing job of is showing all of the little steps that have happened. Every time somebody's touched it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it got <laughs> moved tracked. from the left side to the right side of this warehouse in this city and then it got put on a truck and moved 200 metres down the road to a different dispatch facility and then somebody put a sticker on it with your name on it. And So all of these things add steps, add complexity. Well, they don't add steps and complexity. They surface the steps and they surface the complexity that's mm -hmm. inherent in the process and you can't help but marvel at how this like one box of shoes has been touched by dozens of people in like, you know, dozens of cities or facilities just to make its way to little old me and little old Melbourne. It's like it, when you think about it, it seems so unnecessary, but we just accept that, oh, it's it's getting tracked. Like there are people along the way doing things. It's taking, it's getting to me. There, It's being worked on. Yeah. Yep, all of that, all no of that effort is making this a more valuable process. That's right. Yeah. So I think for, for brands, the goal is to show people what is happening and celebrate it and surface it and make sure people understand all of the effort that's going in, knowing that they can't help but assign that effort to value. Cool. What about peeps? Well, for just, you know, the little old people in the picture, um, 
one of the things, you know, one of the key things for this is to understand that people are going to judge your value based on the effort and not necessarily based on the actual effort, but based on the perceived effort. So it's really important that you make it look like you put effort into whatever it is that you're doing. Wear a clean t-shirt, right? <laughs> right? Now, we just it can't be overstated, and we're gonna. I'm gonna touch on something that some people might uh, might think is a little pedantic, but we're gonna talk about spelling mistakes. Yeah. All right, spelling mistakes and even grammatical mistakes, because it's a surefire way to let people know that you haven't put in effort. Right? And people say, oh, it's just a spelling, it's just a typo. It's not because people are actually judging your worth and yeah. your value based on your spelling mistakes. So if you're writing something, if you're writing an email to somebody, and you know, but perhaps it's to a client uh, and you're trying to sort of get on good terms with them and you want them to think that you can produce really high value work, the absolute worst thing you can do is put a spelling mistake in there because they are going to see that and it's going to be, a, it's going to give them a very quick uh, indication that you haven't proofread it, that you haven't put enough effort into it. They might even know that you can spell. So it's not even about whether or not you can spell, but it gives a very quick uh, indication that, you know, Effort just hasn't been put in, and that means that maybe you're not very good at what you do. Yeah, I mean, I, you you lose count of how many times you see in comment threads on the web somebody writing really like a, a brilliant piece of prose that's rebutting an argument of something that somebody else has put forward, and the whole thing is incredible and intelligent and compelling, but they've used the wrong your. Oh, your and your. Your and your. I mean, well, there's three there of them. There. Yeah, yeah oh. that, and all of a sudden, the whole thing is discredited, yep. right? Because you've used the wrong there, and that means you haven't put the effort in, and that means this is not valuable. That's right. So even if you don't care about spelling, everybody else reading your work does. Yeah. All right. Well, that's that's a that's a tough tough pill to swallow. But it's them's just not the that breaks. hard. Just check your spelling. Yeah, I mean, you even get like little squiggly lines underneath the <laughs> exactly. things. Exactly. You're going to take me back to my marking days, which we already touched on once uh, this episode. I'm not interested in going back there. Yeah, you are starting to shake a little bit. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> All right, probably a good time to wrap up. Let's wrap up. All right, so the uh, effort, effort heuristic, no, what? Effort yeah, heuristic. Effort yeah, effort heuristic. <laughs> yep, is is a shortcut that we use when we're trying to estimate the quality of something that we don't really have much else to go on. Yeah, so you can try and change the world and bust the paradigm and convince people they should be paying based on value, or you can just lean into it and say, yes, you are paying for effort, and look how much we put in. Yep, and remember, it's the perceived effort. Perceived effort. More than even the actual effort. Awesome. Well, I think that concludes take 192 for this episode. <laughs> we really put so much into this, guys. Yeah, I think my dad jokes have really, really lifted over the course of this show as well. Yeah, well done. Cool. All right, we out. <laughs> We are out. We're done. Thanks. See you guys next time. See ya.